All right, we've got a, a, a series uh, that we're going through here in Ephesians, uh, and, and today we find ourselves in Ephesians 5. Now, in this series we've, uh, we've gone through, uh, it's given us uh, just a wonderful scope of, of Christ, of, of the gospel, of that idea of, of being, uh, being dead to sins, the sons of disobedience, and then being raised by the grace and mercy of, of God through, uh, through faith in Christ, not of works, so that no one may boast. And now we're asking the question for these last few weeks, what does that mean for us? How does that affect our life? And so today we're looking at this idea of walking, uh, walking in a way of Christ, walking as children of light. <clears throat> so uh, with daylight savings um, and with, uh, with the sun coming up a little bit earlier, I am a morning person. I'm like a, a ridiculous morning person. Sometimes I feel like I'm waking the sun up rather than the sun is waking uh, me up. Um, but I love the morning. Uh, and, and I know that if I go any further in explaining how much I love the morning, um, that I won't you just do a good preacher task here where I'm trying to gain you on my side. And so, um, so I know that many of you maybe on, on, on the uh, on spring forward day uh, are, are not loving the sun today. So I'm just going to shift the blame here down to my mom really loves the morning. Um, and she, she, she'd do this thing with us when we were kids. So my mom loves the morning. She also loves instilling the truths of God in ways that you cannot ever forget them. Um, so we would always, we would always um, have these songs that she would uh, play. There were just a handful of, of, of different uh, you know, Christian companies that made these really neat little simple songs for the truths of God. Um, and and they, they'd, seriously, they'd like, like burn the truths of God into our brain with these things. And uh, one of them was this song called... Um, Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. This song? She, well, okay, there we go. If you, okay, if anyone would like to hear this, uh, Heidi Eckhart will be performing this in the foyer after the service. Uh, she's very excited about this now. Um, it is her gift to us uh, in the worship service. Um, so, uh, so this song, Arise and Shine and Give God the Glory. See, I'm not singing it because I'm terrible at that. Um, uh, children of the Lord. Okay, so there you go. That's basically the words with a horrible tune. So my mom would wake us up. Like, we'd be camping. We'd be doing things. She'd be like, guys, time to get up. Rise and shine and give God the glory. It's like, this is the worst thing. Like, if you're going to make your kids think there is no God, sing that song to them when you're waking them up. <laughs> like, Ugh. But it never, it never hurt me too much. Uh, but my sister was, she's... God has had mercy on her. She still believes in God and sings that song to her kids now when they wake up. Like, what is this? Don't put them through this. So this is one of those songs that it just like burned into my mind. I literally, I read Ephesians 5, 14, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you and give God the glory, glory, and it just go there. Like, I can't not think this, but it's a really helpful thing. This is kind of where they're going. This, this, this verse 14 of Ephesians uh, 5 it's really, it's really a, I kind of, it's thought of about, maybe it's a, a hymn that the church would sing. Um, it kind of quotes a few verses here or there, but none too specifically, because oftentimes, you know, Paul will quote something from the Old Testament, but this one's kind of strange, so it's thought that maybe this is a hymn that people sang, kind of like, rise and shine, give God the glory, to remember some of these truths of God in a way that was really helpful. It's almost even thought that this might be a, a baptismal uh, hymn that is sung when we, when we rise them up from the waters and give God the glory, uh, and he will shine on you. And so, uh, because uh, this is, you know, maybe, I don't know, a pre-Mother's Day present, uh, uh, literally the, the urge, the, the, the thrust of today's text, the, the, the application point for you today 
today is rise and shine and give God the glory. We're going we're gonna to make this a little more meaningful toward the end, but I thought it would be helpful because if I can't forget it, I'm positive that you will never forget it. Rise and shine and give God the glory. You see, in Ephesians, I've already said this, there's this, this language of, of, of walking. It's um, throughout the whole, the whole thing. Uh, so this idea of walking. You see, in, in chapter 2, we, we read this a couple times. It says, you were dead in the sins in which you one walk, once walked as the sons of disobedience, uh, but God made us alive together in Christ, and now we are created in Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. You once walked as a son of disobedience, and so you were dead, and now you walk as a newly created thing for a new created purpose. This idea of walking could also, I mean, it's, it's strange Christianese kind of language. It means live. You live this way. You live that way. And so a couple weeks ago, we looked at the idea of, of how we walk in the inner person. How am I to live inside myself? How am I to, to do this? It says, no longer walk as Gentiles. Rather, put off your old self, be renewed, and put on the new self. Internally, this is our daily task. We think through this idea of, I'm not the old, I am the new, and so what do I do as the new? Uh, when, when, when anger flies up, when, when, when lust flies up, when greed flies up, when slander comes up, when those things come up, it's our task. Those are opportunities for us to say, not this, because that was me. I walked that way, and now because of Christ, I walk this way. So that was a couple weeks ago. Last week, we looked at then not simply just how do I identify with Christ, how do I understand my life with Christ just internally, we looked at kind of corporately within the church. How do our relationships with other believers in the church uh, affect this uh, idea, and how are we changed because of our, of our status in Christ? We, we read in uh, chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us, and we, we understood that this was putting away falsehood and anger and imitating Christ. Walk in love as Christ loved us. So we walk in a, worthy, a manner worthy, not walking as Gentiles, putting off the old self, being renewed, putting on new self. We walk in love as Christ loved us. And now today we're going to look at this idea that in our reputation with, uh, with, with outsiders, almost it, as Christians, when we go outside the walls of the church, when we go into our community, now we're going to see what is this supposed to be? What is our reputation as Christians? And it says right here in verse 8 of chapter 5, walk as children of light filled with thanksgiving and bringing the light of Christ to dark places. So rise and shine, give God the glory. Here you go. Here's a, here's, here's a better outline here. Uh, our first point we're going to be looking at is Christ is the cause of our thanks. That'll be verses 3 through 5. Uh, in verses 6 through 10, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, understand that Jesus Christ is the source of our light. And we'll look at a little bit of what that light means and then in, in verses 11 through 13, Christ is the means of our enlightenment. He's the cause of thanks, source of light, and the means of enlightenment. He is the way in which we are enlightened. So we'll go through this here. Um, yeah, kind of verse by verse, as we normally do, but I'm going to peel apart some of, these, uh, some of these verses as well. So point one. Christ is the cause of our thanks. Or maybe you could even write, He is the reason for our thanks. Verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity and co or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. There is to be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place. Wow, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a mouthful there. Um, 
Uh, so what are these terms here? What, what is he talking about? He says six things um, here. It's always good when you're going through, just say, what are each one of these things and how are they different than the others? Because he's not just saying, he's not just being redundant uh, at this point. He's, he's shaping something for us. Uh, so we have sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. You know, if you look at these things, uh, I, might, I might shape these a little bit more to see what kind of sins they are. I'm not, I'm not positive Paul is saying only this, only this, only this, only this. He's saying there's, some, there's a heart behind these, uh, the, the, these kinds of sins. So these are maybe examples of a heart condition uh, that's there. Uh, so he says sexual immorality. Um, so sexual immorality. Uh, this, is, uh, this is maybe um, the, uh, the, the going to kind of a sin. Um, uh, sexual immorality is the, the word there actually, uh, we get this from, from the Greek, is, is pornea. So I think you can kind of land yourself where that would be. You know, so we get into something like pornography, uh, Anything that ends with gruffy is like the visualization, the, visual, the visualization of sexual immorality is literally what the word pornography means. And so we get that idea. Uh, but, but what's more in this? It's not so much you know, delving into the intricacies of, of, of sexual immorality. There, there, that is there. But at the heart of this, there's something more. There's something more, which is that idea that it's, it's the going to-ness of the sin, that, that you go after sin. You don't trip over you know, you don't trip over sexual immorality. There is an intention in the sexual immorality. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that against these other ones. Uh, so, then, uh, so then we have impurity. And I would say that impurity is this idea that you are kind of surrounded in. So there's a going to kind of a sin. There's a, a surrounded by kind of a sin. Uh, you just kind of sit there and you're okay with it. You, are, um, you, you, you just get used to this, this even if it's a low-grade um, sin in your life. It's okay to kind of slander. It's okay to kind of hold a grudge. It's okay to kind of uh, withhold forgiveness. It's okay to kind of do those things, and you just kind of get used to this impurity. So there's a going to kind of a sin. There's a, there's a uh, sitting in kind of a sin, and then we get this other one, which is covetousness. There is a, a longing for kind of a sin. It's, this, it's where you sit down and you, and you think, I wish I had that. How do I get that? There's greed here. There's slander here. There's stealing here. There's, there's a different kind of thing uh, uh, that's happening where you want that. So either you go to it, you sit in it, or you long for it. He's really shaping those. And he gives this example here very specifically. So he's saying there is a pattern of the heart that's expressed here, but these are also things that you shouldn't do. These are very pointed expressions of those kind of sins, that, 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 um, that going to, that sitting in, and that longing for. It says if your heart's in that spot, then, then the way you talk is going to be shaped by that as well. And it is actually kind of a connection, very much a connection here, that then he says, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking should not be part of your speech. Filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. We'll get to all of this, but I want to keep building because his logic kind of flows this way. In the, in, in the latter half of verse 4, we read then, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Okay, Bible readers here, we should be asking questions. We put six things on the one side, and we say, don't do this and this and this and this and this and this. And so what is the opposite of those things? Apparently to Paul, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> what do we do with that? When you come across those kind of questions, of like, how is Thanksgiving different than pornography? What? <laughs> how is Thanksgiving a different heart condition than, than, than impurity, than, than slander, than, than these other things? What does Thanksgiving have to do with anything? It seems kind of odd there. 
Now, I'm setting this up because I want to actually kind of go through this, but also that, that should be something. As we're reading, you could just stop your Bible reading. Sometimes you don't have to read the whole thing. You can just stop there and sit on that for a while. Chew on that for a while. And that might actually be a better devotion than trying to plow through the whole reading plan. How is Thanksgiving the opposite corrective to sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking? Well, I think it's the very end, that last phrase of verse 4 that gives us the whole spin here. It says, which are out of place. Well, I want to draw a picture here on the screen. So, uh, which are out of place. I think you could say, this is out of line. You're out of line here, but he's not really saying you're out of line. He's saying you're out of place. You've put something in the wrong spot. So, more or less, this is a real nice picture here. Um, Me, I'm in the middle. So, if I am the center, if I am placing myself at the center of my world, of the center of my, I'm not even just going to say everything that happens in the world, of my virtuous world, everything that is good is overlapping with me. Uh, I am the center. Then we get these things around there, because I'm a good preacher, I, I, I didn't give you actions and stuff, I gave you people, practices, and possessions. Uh, people, practices, possessions. You look around this circle, if you're the center, and these things are orbiting around you, people, practices, possessions, what's going to end up happening is that when people don't agree with you, in your mind, you are going to reason at, at some, some level that they are going against your will which is true, but you're going to think that your will is the will. Um, And so when people frustrate you, it's going to be extra hard because you have to figure out how to convert them to your will and then explain to them, you know, this whole way. And people just become really impossible to deal with. Now, nice little truism here is if you got a problem with everyone, then maybe it's not everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then you go to practices, the things you do, uh, the things you do. uh, if you want to go this way or that way, if you're a planner and, and things go awry, just the situation goes awry. Uh, uh, emergencies, you can't handle emergencies because we just don't know what this is. This, this shows that I'm not sovereign. I don't have control of everything. Or your possessions. Uh, possessions, this is, you know, that idea of that, that covetousness. You want what other people have. You want the life they have. You want the family, the wife, the, the, the husband, the job, uh, the income, the house. You want whatever they have. There's a certain part where you could say, good for you, but, but that's not what we're talking about here. When we're covetousness, we want that. We don't want something like that. I want a nice house and a nice family. We want, I want that house and that family and that job. And so when we're the sinner, we're out of place. Because then we throw in this one. I mean, it's like the elephant in the, room, the, elephant in the cosmos. What do we do with God? Because <laughs> then God comes up and it's like this awkward question of like, okay, so who's the backseat driver here? Like, this just kind of throws the whole orbit off, right? It's out of place. We'll get to Thanksgiving, because that's the question I'm asking. How is Thanksgiving the corrective? I'm going to shake up this whole picture here. What if we go this way? Now, I could put God at the center with the orbit, and then it goes out. We could do that, but I just, to explain this, I wanted to kind of put it a little more linearly. So, we have God here, and he is the center. We see people not as just something that's against us, but we see people and practices, possessions, as an expression of God's graces to us, as his gift to us. He puts people in our lives so that even the most frustrating people in our lives can pull about the truths of life. They can pull about this, this, this anger that God has, but also 
this mercy that God has, this, this anger that God has, but then also this forgiveness that God has. And in the joys of life, people can show us and build up this love, you know, in a way that there is a love with, with maybe a spouse there, or, or um, there is a love uh, that you have maybe for your kids. And you can start to see some of these things in life that God has given you to, to, to bring about uh, uh, the truths of his glory, uh, the truth of his light. And then possessions, you can find out that, the, that you're learning the act of stewardship in the, midst of, in the midst of this life. And then how that works is then God, how is that for you guys? God then goes, the people practices possessions, and he gives those to us. He breathes his reality. He reveals himself in various ways through his spirit, through his word to you. And as he is giving that to you, then you say thanks. And there's your, th- there's your gratitude. And as you have that gratitude then, you're, you're, you're looking back on people and you're not using them for your ends. You're not going to them as though sexual immorality, really sexual immorality is not to give to other people. It's to take for yourself. You're feeding yourself, your own hunger. And these practices of, of sitting in them are no longer that, but you thank God that you're able to reject them, to, to find his holiness, to, to work through these things. And then that's going to come out with a heart that is grateful. It's going to come out in your words so that your words are no longer uh, filthiness. Filthiness, taking the things of God and speaking of them as though they're trash. Gratitude shapes that. It turns it. Foolish talk. You're going to take the truths of God and say, yeah, whatever. We'll get to this part of deception here in a bit. But that's an ungrateful way of living in the context of a God who didn't have to make you or reveal his truth to you. You just throw it away. Or crude joking. Taking the situations, the lives, the people of the world and throwing them in the gutter. It's ultimately ungrateful. And that's really tough. When you do that, it may get a laugh. It may be fun. But you're actually putting on display your ingratitude of God. And that's how thankfulness is the opposite corrective to all of those. Now, I give you kind of the, over, the overview of it that I feel is most helpful in the sermon, but I would encourage you, if any of those is kind of ticking on you, I'd love to talk some more about that. I know our elders would, be, would always be up for talking through uh, those things, but if there's anything else that you want to delve into more, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, foolish talk, crude joking, like there's always a conversation. There is no, not always time to go deeply into all of that in a sermon. So I wanted to give you the overview of how gratitude changes us for that. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who, has, who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. I'll just say one thing to that just to, to calm some minds because that's a little bit alarming uh, of, a, of, a, of a verse there. Uh, this clause does not uh, then function as a, uh, as a warning to believers that they should be aware of their actions lest they forfeit the inheritance. He's writing to believers and you have to say like, wait a second, I'm going to lose this inheritance that I had because of faith, now works, loses it. Uh, he says, no, 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 that's not, that's, not, that's not the point. The exact opposite force, uh, it has the exact opposite force. Paul wants uh, us believers to be assured that we are heirs of the eternal kingdom. And because of that, we should now live like kingdom people and serve uh, serve our loving and merciful God with a heart full of gratitude. That's what he's saying. He's saying, don't lose this. 
because it's yours. Don't just throw it away. Live like it's yours. And so that helps us then because then we look at Jesus to see how he sources us for this life and this walk and then how he, uh, how he makes it possible for us to have. Jesus is the reason uh, for our thanks, or he is the cause for our thanks. But then point two, Jesus is the source of our light, the source of our, you could even say, truth. Jesus Christ is the source of our light. And so I'll give you just a summary of this point. Verse 6, verse 10, verse 8 is kind of how the logic flows. Do not be deceived, but be discerning because you are light. Now, if you've got scripture journal there or, or whatever it is, you can, you can underline those because those are just straight out of there. Verse 6, do not be deceived, but, verse 10, but be discerning, or but try to discern what is the will of God or what is pleasing to God. Uh, and then the middle of it is why the change there because verse 8, because you are light. Do not be deceived. Be discerning because you are light. So we'll go back to verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And so uh, there's this idea of deception that, that in Ephesians specifically, you know, elsewhere in Paul's writing, he always like names people like this person is telling you lies. Uh, watch out for him. Here's a teaching that's awful. Get rid of it. And he's like naming stuff. But in Ephesians, he's pretty ambiguous. He's not really naming uh, anyone. You might, I mean, if you really want to get nerdy, you can get in there and fight and try and find something. But it really, and, and when you read through, like it just, he's really not naming something. So, so one, one, uh, one commentator, I, I love how he says this. He says, what Paul is doing here when he says, do not be deceived, is he's, um, he's actually rather, he's offering more of an, an immunization rather than a prescription. Like he's kind of proactively teaching us like, hey, get ready because deception's going to come rather than, oh man, you were taken away by the wrong thing and now we got to get you back. And so he's kind of trying to put this forward. He's saying, don't be deceived. Be prepared so that you're not deceived. So then what is deception? Uh, deception is obviously just, you know, bending the truth, you know, tricking someone into believing the false truth. Specifically here, and maybe what's helpful for our, for our understanding of this text today, is this idea of deception as here's a helpful, helpful um, definition. Deception, as Paul is talking about it here, are arguments that justify sinful behavior. It is a bending and a tricking and a convincing of the truth, of a false truth, but here he's talking about the way we walk. And so if we make it seem right that walking the wrong way is good, then, then we will be deceived. So deception in this regard is arguments that justify sinful behavior. I'm going to keep building this up, and then we're going to step back and, and kind of think through what this means in our own life. Uh, so then the rest of verse 6 is, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. There are a couple of things here. He says, it comes upon the sons of disobedience. This goes all the way back to chapter 2, when it says, you used to walk as sons of disobedience, and therefore you were dead. It says right here, sons of disobedience, when they are deceived and walk in a way that gives them death and act like that's not the case, they're wrong. They're deceived. But then maybe uh, this would be a good one to, to circle here. It's the word uh, right after the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. For because of this deception, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It does not say that the wrath of God will be uh, aggregated and come upon them someday soon. As though every time we, we do some kind of disobedience, we're piling up this, this wrath of God. 
It's, it's the present tense there. It says the wrath of God comes upon them. When you live a life that is not in line with God's, God's will and God's way, when it's not pleasing to God, there are natural consequences that he has just said, hey, low-grade wrath of me is just going to happen in your brokenness. When you are nasty to somebody, you're going to get the, the, the evidence of the fault. You're going to get some of that punishment coming back on you. Uh, when you live in a way that puts me off to the side and you at the center, you are going to be going against the grain in a way that is really rough. I'm not making this up. Romans 1 says this. So he gave them over to their ways. And he does that. He just says, it's, it's like when I watch, my, I've got, oh my goodness, I've got two girls. Well, I've got three girls, but two of them specifically. I, they have, I, I swear they have a pact. Like, hey, anything we find, let's figure out how we can fight. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, uh, okay, it's not, I mean, it's anything. Um, uh, even like time out. Like, I want that couch. No, I want that couch. Oh my gosh. Like, oh, uh, and, 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 and there's a point at which, like, I as a father have to, like, Romans 1, how does God treat us in this? And sometimes you just have to give them over to the fight and, and let them duke it out. And then you can come in and be like, this isn't the way it's meant to be, right? It feels terrible now, right? Because you didn't get it when I said, you know, show love. They don't understand what that means. Uh, but, then they come, but then they come in and I'm like, see, now you're crying. And now she punched you in the eye. This didn't work out, did it? give you over to some of those things there. And so when he, um, when he says this, that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, they're going to do what they're going to do, but there are consequences to that. And to live like there are not consequences for sin is to be deceived. There are consequences for your sin, both real and immediate and natural and also spiritual, future, eternal. So live like it in both aspects. Okay, verse 7 and 8. Oh, uh, yeah, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were, uh, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Uh, this word partner, he says, don't, don't buddy up with them. Don't become partners with the sons of disobedience. And just because there's another kind of way that Paul talks about partnership, there are only two times he uses this word in all of his writing, partner. He uses it in Ephesians 3, 6. He says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers, these partners, of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there's one way in which he says, don't just associate with them. And that's a different kind of partnership that, that, that Paul talks about. It's like the koinonia fellowship. And he talks about that. That's not what he's saying here. This one he's saying, like, you're like stakeholders. Like, you, you, you both have an investment, uh, invested interest in this, and you know you're going to get returns on this. Like, you're joining an endeavor, an enterprise together uh, with this. When you live as though your sin doesn't really matter, that there is no real consequence for it, you are partnering with them to get the due wages that this enterprise will get. That's what he's saying. I said, but that's not you, because you are partakers of something different, the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel, not this death of the sons of disobedience. Don't partner with them. But when we partner, we start to get that language. We start to get that attitude. We get, start to get that walk or that swagger that the sons of disobedience have, which were us until we believed. It looks like this. Uh, this, this it's, it's not just 
being deceived by them telling us, like, no, 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 you're okay. It's when we start to become the factories of deception in our own lives, where we become our own deceivers. Uh, Things like blame shifting. I sinned. I did this. I was angry and yelled. I clamored. Because work's tough right now. Blame shifting. No, you chose to do that. You didn't deal with it. You just threw your work, you know, there. You're coming at me, and so I'm going to respond harshly. You're blame shifting. Like you, every immediate action that you take is yours. I just didn't know this. I didn't know that. I didn't want to go that way. You, no one's listening to me, so I had to go do something extreme. Blame shifting to, to the situation. Uh, over-spiritualizing things. You know, I, I, you know, God wanted me to get you on, you know, to this track over here, and he's using me, and I just had to, to hurt you to get you to listen. Oof. That's like marriage counseling 101 right there. <laughs> uh, uh, or, or, or misquoting scripture. Oh, good night. Uh, oh, what is the one that comes to mind? It's awful. Uh, um, spare, the rod, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. That is not actually text for, like, destroying your kids. <laughs> That's not, that's, not, that's not that. There, there's something else in there. But, um, or how about wives and husbands? Right at the end of in Ephesians 5, it's interesting that he says, you know, don't go this way and be deceived. And then we got to like, how often is the wives and husband text taken out of, uh, out of context? Or, or what does even mean and, and quoted to mean just, you know, wives submit to the husbands and do whatever he says, no matter how, who he is or how he acts. You see, that's sin. And when we take things that way, and when we do those things, when we take Scripture, and we just misquote it, when we, when we over-spiritualize our, our action, or we shift the blame to something else, we are becoming, we are partnering with the sons of disobedience. We are becoming deceivers ourselves. Yeah, and, and, and it even goes further. It's not just the sons of disobedience, because that's just like an archaic-sounding word, or phrase, and what does it even mean? It says, you were dead when you partnered with them. In the way in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. I'll just go real quickly. Satan, following Satan, who is the deceiver, the father of lies. And that left you dead. You, you, you are being little Satans when you create that deception of yourself. And you say, mm, my sin doesn't matter that much. Or it's not really my fault. It just kind of happens. E. Verse 9. Walk as children of light. There it is. Walk as children of light. Don't do that stuff. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and pure. Because you are light. This fulfills this prophecy of Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. We are light. Because we are reflectors of the image of God who is light. People should see the light of Christ in us so clearly and so brilliantly because we are reflecting him as children of light. People know who my kids are because they act like me and they're weird and extroverted. We, people know our Father because we act as the light that he is. We reflect that. So, okay, that was a bunch. Uh, that was a bunch there. I just kind of want to step back and think through this. Paul, Paul speaks to our own, uh, uh, through our deception, uh, as though it's our own. 
I think that, that that one just caught me up so much in, in preparing for this. That Paul has the audacity to say, not, uh, make sure you guys don't get deceived. And heads up. He gives us a command. Do not be deceived. Like, it's like I own my own deception. Like when I'm deceived, it's my own fault. Which also suggests that if it's my own fault, then I could have avoided deception. Uh, I think what he really means is spiritual ignorance is not okay for the people of God. Uh, we live in a culture that this is, this is it's so awesome to just kind of be in, in the Christian subculture and to go to church and be around Christians. And our, and our faith is strong because of our, our Christian network, not because of our Christian faith, uh, but because we know a lot of Christians and we do a lot of Christian things and we know a lot of Christian authors and we read a lot of Christian books maybe or Christian-ish books. Um, that's, not, that's not your faith. That's not, that's not it. it. It's the depth that's there. You know, I mean, I, I even look at this, you know, you know, Ephesians isn't naming people. I'll name a couple people. Uh, if you consider yourself, um, you know, a, uh, uh, not an intellectual, a, a people person, you know, I like people more than ideas. I like uh, the conversation more than, you know, than reading. I'm not a reader. Uh, something like that. If, you know, however that might be for you, there's, there's kind of a, a spectrum here that I think's a little false. But if that's not you, I just want to encourage, like, if, 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 if you pick this up and you say, this is, that's not me. That's not how I do it. Um, well, that's how God does it. That's how, he, that's how he gave it to us. I want to remind you that Christianity is driven by ideas and that you should learn more about. I mean, you at least had to be an idea person to the level of, like, sin is real and there's forgiveness. Like, there's, there's at least a, a part there and that you have to come to terms with, with ideas. And you'll be deceived if, 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 if you have an aversion to these ideas. There has to be something in you that, 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 that wants more of these, to understand what this is. You know, that's why it's wonderful to have our kids in the service with us, because they're going to ask a ton of questions like, that was weird, what are we doing? Why did we say that? What does this song mean? What's an Ebenezer? You know, and, and then we, and then we, opportunity to not resist the ideas, but to, to lean into it, and, and do the hard work yourself. Blue Letter Bible is a fantastic resource for all things, <laughs> for all things uh, uh, faith-related. You can just type that stuff in. Uh, what is this? What is that? And they'll give you some resources that get you uh, along the way there. Um, you know, I, I, I asked this question. These are a couple of people that I, I would know. Why do people like, uh, like Joel Osteen and, and Rachel Hollis, why do they get huge fan followings in the name of Christ? Because actually both of them are proclaiming like a false gospel, like the, the, the gospel of, 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 of money and, and, and wealth or, or a gospel of me at the center. I mean, Rachel Hollis, girl, wash your face. Be a better you. And God's on your side. And that's it. Like, that actually is it. Sorry if you love her. You shouldn't. She's bad. <laughs> Joel Osteen is bad because of this. He's uh, saying you're being deceived. And you're going to sit and, and you're going you're to drink from whatever someone sounds good if you're not actually in the words of God. Listen to God first and then test to see if others are good. But I'm not just saying that to the people who are not readers or, or, or whatever. Uh, let, let's kick away the ignorance there. Um, there are ways to go about this. Um, there, are, there, are, there are tons of, you know, women's ministry is, is, is great uh, in, in connecting people at, at all different levels of where you're at. at. The men's ministry at Parkview is great in getting people into the faith and getting them together. Uh, and, and even more than programs of men's and women's ministry here, um, you know, and even community groups are like 
the people are just sitting around you in this room. You know, just sit down with one another and say, hey, where are you at? On and the more conversations you have, the more you get practiced in talking about the things that are truth, the more you weave this, this, this network of, of, of an aversion to deception. And the more that we, we bring about the truth, and it's okay to talk about the truth with each other, and it's okay to say, well, hold up, let's talk about this, rather than, eh, no, that's not okay, that's not okay, this is okay. If we have that ignorance, we're never going to like feast on the truth of God. He is the light. He is the source of our faith, the source of our truth. And so we can go that direction. But I encourage you, you know, if, if, if that's, you want to know, like, yeah, I'm convicted that I need to know more, but it just seems so impossible. I'll admit, man, I, I paid a lot of smart people to teach me a lot of smart things in the Bible. And so it's really hard for me sometimes to be like, oh, you can just pick it up and read it, you know. Because there's some of this stuff in here. The structure of Leviticus, yikes, woof. <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's a tough one. But there are some simple things. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There's some simple ways to get in and just understand who is Jesus. There are easy ways to go about it, even if you just get a little correction on, on where to go. So if that's you, you don't need to feel shame. Just feel the urge. Feel, feel, feel the motive here. Uh, desire, uh, meteor things. Uh, but also on the other side, I'm not just hitting on one, on one side. I want to hit on everybody. Um, if you are a wired academic, you must remember that here in the words of Paul, such an academic that we aspire to be. Chapter 4, verse 21 is the point. Truth is in Jesus. I don't know how many people, myself included, we get so stuck in the ideas. And we kind of forget that Jesus just kind of came to sinners to be with them. You will never actually understand the theology and the intricacies of theology that God has presented. The mysteries of God have been proclaimed in the bookshelves in old libraries. It doesn't say that. It says it's been proclaimed in the church, which is the people. Jesus put the books down. He knew the books. He quoted the books to Satan when Satan tempted him. He also opens them up and says, I'm fulfilling that part. Jesus knew the books, so I'm not saying don't know the books. But Jesus spent all of his life, like most of what we read is he just goes and he like hangs out with people who have never read the Bible or never read the scriptures or never understood anything. And he says, have hope. I love you. You're never going to understand the truths of God if you're never with people, ever. So I, I challenge you, maybe your next step is go get coffee. Ask someone, where are you at with God? What's your life? What's your story? And then just be quiet and listen and understand the heart of another person. And I know if you're like me, an academic, it's really hard to sit there and listen to a person, even if they say things that don't make sense. But we got to do it. And the church is better for it. The church is better when we go out into the world to be with people, but we also bring along these, 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 uh, these intelligent people or whatever to shape it with specificity. It's really helpful when our mission can be informed by sociology so that we're not just doing these hobby projects of saying these feel good to us because we're told that the church should go out and do good, but when we bring in things like sociology, when we think, bring in things like economics, and we're actually doing good in a way that is maximally helpful for the people around us. That is phenomenal. We need doers and we need thinkers. We all have to be more toward the center of that balance and I would say that sinner is Christ-like living. That's where the church should be. And so while neither, none of us are actually in that center, it's really wonderful that God gifted us the church to kind of balance it out so we can at least, as a group, 
be this really awkward, balanced uh, act. And we have to give grace that the doers can push us on doing and the thinkers can push us on thinking. And hopefully we both become doers and thinkers because that's really what the Christian is. The whole Christian loves the Lord with, with your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength, with all your being. Not just casting your sin, casting your apathy toward action on the fact that you're wired a certain way or another. And in all of this, we leverage everyone in the community to help us, verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. As we're looking for the light, we try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Even while putting the ownership of deception on each of us, he also gives us an encouraging measure, effort. I love that. It says, uh, you're not rewarded once you figured it out. It says, you're commended when you start trying. Try to discern what is pleasing for the Lord. That's all it takes. Just try. Because if you're like me, too often, I don't even get the try part out in a day. Just don't even try. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. All right. How do we do this? Uh, We'll get to our last point here. Uh, Jesus Christ is the cause of our thanksgiving. Jesus Christ is the source of our light. And Jesus Christ, this is point three, Jesus Christ is the means of our enlightenment. So he is the source, but then he, he not simply is that truth that we need to understand. In our, in our thoughts, in our actions, we need to understand Christ more. That's how he is the source of our light and our truth. And now he puts us into effect. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. That was a lot. Um, What do we do as children of light? Well, the text here says, we expose unfruitful works of darkness. So then I ask this question, why do we do this? If we go back to verse 9, it says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit of light is found in good and right and true, verse 11, so then take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. I, just, I mean, he's just drawing the line. It is literally black and white, <laughs> day and night. Well, God gives us his guidance. This is, this is kind of it, the means of our enlightenment. God gives us uh, himself as enlightenment, but he also gives us a path and an example to it. If we think of this idea of, of how light and, and, and God's direction has, has been throughout Scripture, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His word, his spoken word will guide our path. So how do we live as children of light? We follow the directions that we get, the examples that we get in Scripture. It's going to give us that. And we've got to pick it up, we've got to read it, and we've got to put it into action if we're ever going to figure out what it is. Uh, but, then, but then Jesus comes along. So we have this, this spoken word of God shows us this, but then Jesus comes along and he says something just crazy. Uh, John uh, 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there's this enlightenment, this wisdom. He gives us these truths in his law, but then Jesus comes along and says, I am, I am the embodied truth. I am the example of how all of that law is applied to our everyday life. So that's why I say read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. 
It is the way, the example that God gives us for, if you can't read all of these, if you can't read Psalm 119 and say, I don't, I, you know, I don't understand what that means, well, Jesus just shows you how it works. That's a real easy way to do that. Uh, and, then, and then Jesus then goes, this is, this is a great one, oh, my goodness, uh, thank God for Luke 24, where Jesus says, uh, these people say, we thought that Jesus was going to be real. We thought this, he was going to be it. And then Jesus, uh, at the beginning, with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all scriptures, the things concerning himself. Then Jesus says this. So when I say Jesus is the embodiment or the example of Psalm 118, it's because Jesus taught us that. It's because he, he went with these guys and he said, you see all of this? That's me. That's me. It was, it, was, it was saying what I was going to do. I am the point of all of this. All of your study, it revolves around me. And Jesus shows us that. So we can look into his word, but we can't get everything unless we're out putting it into practice, exposing the light. Now, I uh, uh, was at a church uh, before, I, you know, a church that I'd gone to in, in years past. There was, a, there was an elder, and he was um, zesty, I guess is a word I could say. Um, he was intense. He was staunch. I think that's a great word, staunch. Um, and what he did, he gave a sermon uh, illustration one time when he was preaching on, uh, on the idea of light and dark. Um, and he used this idea, uh, I think it's really, it's, this example is really helpful. He used a flashlight. So he actually, like, during the sermon, he's like, light, dark, it exposes. He killed the lights, like all the lights in the sanctuary go off. He turns a flashlight on, you know. Um, it was intense. <laughs> was intense. And this is the light, and we're exposing the darkness. Um, and I sat there, and I thought, I don't think we're the ones holding the light. <laughs> I think we pray to God that, that he might reveal the light. Like, he's the one holding the light, and we're looking that way. And it was, it was a really good time for me to say, like, I feel like that's how all of my non-Christian friends talk about Christianity, is that we're the people who come in and we say, guys, guess what? Here's the truth. You know, and we, and we shine that light like straight in their eyes. And we think of the light as intensity rather than the fact that light is created out of, you know, blue and green and red. Like there's, there's, a, there's, there's, there's intricacy within the light. Like there is beauty within this light. And, and that's where we should be focusing. Like, hey, look at this. Yeah, there's light. Jesus is that light. Look at all these different aspects of, of what make up the light of God. But I think sometimes our approach when we go out into the world is that we just turn, like, we just, we talk lumens. Like we just want to, like, intensify Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in their life. Like, you are a heathen. This is Jesus. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. And I think we need to back off of that a bit. If we have light, people are going to go to it. If we're pointing in a direction, oh, here's why we might not do this. There you go. That's more of Scripture. When, 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 uh, when we're told, uh, live in a way that when people ask you why, you can give an answer. If we point to, how do you, why do you parent that way? You made some weird decisions there that most people don't make. And then we give them the light in one hue. Here's how Christ speaks to our parenting. Oh, yeah, your decision. Like, it seems like your marriage is on the rocks right now, but you guys have this dogged devotion to each other. This thing of, like, covenant is, you, you use that word. Oh, let me show you how Christ means that we got to work this thing out. You seem to encourage people. You seem to forgive freely. Oh, here's another hue of that light. Instead of just getting at people and saying, off with you, sons of darkness, I feel like it would do us well to be imitators of God who say, but let's give you the light of Jesus and raise you from the dead. 
exposes the light, or exposes the darkness with light. It brings Christ light like uh, light, Christ like light to the dark areas. And maybe they're just dim because of ignorance. Maybe they're not just against God. Maybe they just have never heard. Jesus actually changes the way you finance. Jesus actually changes the way you plan a vacation. Wow. Sometimes it's just ignorance. Do not be deceived. Bring them the light. Bring them the truth of Jesus Christ. Exposing dark deeds by light might be accomplished by prophetic witness or simply by living the kind of life that makes sinners ashamed and reveals them for what they are. Not vindictively, but excellently for the glory of God. So we get all the way back to rise and shine and give God the glory. These are your application points. Uh, uh, Rise. I think basically it's wake up to Christ. Whether you are an unbeliever or a believer, wake up to Christ. He is the sun who will shine on you. As the sun, he's the sinner. If you don't believe in forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ, do not be deceived. Wake up to reality. Your sin is real. Christ's forgiveness is real. The wrath of God comes and is coming. Like, this is just real. And it means something for you. But if you are faithful, if you are a believer, wake up to Christ. Your faith is not simply an echo of a a conversion prayer from years ago. Like, it's today. Your faith is what you make it today. Yeah, you can have assurance that God forgave my sins back then and I made this switch from the old way to the new way. But today you got a task too. Wake up to Christ. So rise, just wake up. And then shine. Walk as children of light. We're told, walk as children of light. And how does a child of light walk? I think they are going to shine just like the light that they're a child of, right? Walk as children of light. You're going to shine. You're going to do these things. You're going to proclaim Christ in your actions, in your words, sometimes generally, sometimes specifically. Devote yourselves to figuring out Christ in the everyday. How does the patience of Christ shape this? How does the forgiveness of Christ shape this? How does the truth of Christ inform this? And I guess the one that we get from our text here is how does the gratitude toward Christ revolutionize my approach to the things that God has given me every day? Shine. And isn't that such a great thing? Uh, maybe one, one practice that I had, I realized about a year ago, almost to the date, a year ago, that I was just, I don't know, just had this low-grade ingratitude that kind of just like festered most of my conversation, I ended up having to, like I made a commitment that I would write a thank you card, one thank you card every week until I could actually naturally in conversation just like thank people. It took me, it took me several months. You probably got a few of those uh, uh, cards. Um, that's a great habit. Build a rhythm. Build a rhythm of doing that so then you, you end up just having that thankful heart. You got to practice it if you're ever going to have it. Wake up and shine. And then the point is not to just get better, it's to give God the glory. Tell people about Jesus. Invite people to hear about Jesus. Explain to people how Jesus shapes your reasoning. One of the things I was just talking to my mom about, um, you know, as she, you know, indoctrinated us with this song, which is so good on content, but the melody is awful. Um, 
She just did that all the time. Uh, she's got, she, she, just, she, she knows that she doesn't have the theology uh, and, and the chops to like really reason through you know, any kind of like, you know, angry atheist. Um, and she just like invites people to church. And he's like, hey, I love you. You want to go to this thing with me? And maybe we'll go out to supper or go to lunch afterwards. And she just kind of does that. And she was telling me, she's like, I just don't know if you know, anyone's ever helped. And all of a sudden, just this wave of people come back and they're like, because you connected me to a pastor who could answer that question. <gasps> the invitation was worth it. Wow, that's pretty wild. Because you connected me to this group that, was, that had gone through stuff and come out the other side faithful, I was able to have a conversation that just turned the whole thing. Yeah, invitations actually can be evangelistic. Invitations can be proclaiming light. Invitations can be a way in which you shine the light together and you kind of walk together towards it. Christ will shine. Will you rise? Will he shine on you? I'm going to leave you with uh, Romans 13. This is a passage actually that, uh, that um, every father uh, Augustine I was converted to. He, he'd been living a life in the darkness, and he, and he read this, and this, this passage caught him. He opened up the Bible. He did one of those bad reading plans where he just like, and this is what he got, and this is what convinced him. He said, this is it. And because of this conversion here that, that, that Romans 13 kind of spawned, we, we've, we've grown a lot. We've been very informed in the church. God has graced the church by his work in revealing the light to this man. This is Romans 13, 11 through 14. This will be it, and then we'll pray. Besides this, you know the time, uh, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify in his desires. Hmm. God, we need you. We need your light. We cannot produce our own light. We can only skew it and deceive ourselves. We need your light to help us even understand rightly what is the truth, to apply rightly what is the truth. Thank you for giving us one another. But even so, we as a people can't figure out the right way to go. Even as a group, we're prone to wander. We need your light. We need the clarity of your word applied in the way of Christ. Help us to see clearly. Give us a vision that is sufficient. Give us your light. And help us as we go to have the confidence to naturally, to conversationally, to lovingly, in an actively listening kind of way, embody the gospel, bring people the gospel, immunize them with the gospel, prescribe to them the gospel. Pray that the uh, that Parkview Church could just be that, that, that outpost where the gospel is what we do. Our Christ shines, and people know it. 